I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong. Where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Beautiful people across the world and new friends, what's up? I have with us today somebody who's just out here doing it, like not even kind of sort of doing it, but like doing it, doing it like podcast host, entrepreneur, professor, like author like I'm just trying to figure out what she don't do (laughs) you know she's a wife she's so many things but most importantly she's a devastating diva so you know I'm biased right now (laughs) but I'm so glad to have you know Alicia Tete I said it right the Tete yeah with us today who's just really just brilliant in all of her ways and was definitely going to tell you more about her the parts that I ain't already told so Sora what's up (laughs) hey hey thank you for having me I don't know where to begin. I, I actually call myself a change agent. Mm. That is my, that is the title that I go by because in all of my jobs, my goal is to help enact some sort of change. So whether that is change for an individual, change in the classroom, that is my, that is my lot in life to help enact some change. Mm. Where did that come from for you? Like what happened in life that even made you want to get into the field of social work? Because that's, quite a field to get into. It's definitely rewarding, but I'm sure it's also challenging. It is. Ironically enough, I am recording from the place that, from from my roots. I'm in Tennessee right now. Growing up, I didn't know anything about social work. I was raised by my mother and my grandmother. And at the time, my grandmother wanted one of her five daughters to go to nursing school. Hmm. None of them did. I didn't know anything about college. Nobody had attended. And so I ended up applying and getting into nursing school, starting out as a nurse. So I'm in nursing school. I'm working at a hospital as a CNA. And I see this lady kind of like going from like family to family. She was dressed real sharply. The families really welcomed her. And so on my breaks, I would ask her, I would talk to her, you know, what do you do? You know, what's your job? And she told me she was a social worker. And I was like, hmm. Now in my own family, there is some mental health, some substance use. And so I knew that there were people that went out to see someone in my family, but I didn't exactly know what was going on. Mm. And so it was in that moment as she described her job and I saw the the illumination on the patient's faces, I was like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. Nursing felt more like a Band-Aid and social work really felt more holistic because I, I, I witnessed her connecting families and bringing families together. So that is how I got my start. I ended up dropping my scholarship. I had a nursing scholarship. I dropped that, Mm. changed my major to social work. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's a first. (laughs) Now, I I thought about doing something like that because I was on a full scholarship, an undergrad with Shaw, and my mom was having some tough times. I was going to go home, and my dean at the time kept saying, don't you do that, don't you do that. That would be insane of you. So just walk us through how you even 
came to just say, <laughs> I'm going to do this because I mean, that's funny. And you first gen. So, mm-hmm. and then what was it like to even tell, you know, your family, because, you know, we pride ourselves in making our families proud of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I spent a, a large majority. I'm the oldest child. I had a whole lot of responsibility growing up and I spent a lot of time making decisions based on what other people wanted. Mm. And so my mother was in the military. And so I had a ROTC scholarship because I felt like being in the military would make her proud. Mm. I was a nursing student because I felt like doing that would make my grandmother proud. But in that moment that I decided to drop my scholarship and change my major, I was trying to make me proud. And that was the first time that that had ever happened. When I was a sophomore in college at that time, anxiety's extremely high. I have some thoughts around a parentified child and how that kind of breeds some anxiety that we may have already had. Mm -hmm. But um, my family thought I was nuts. So as I started to say something about social work, their only perspective was the people that take people's children away. Mm -hmm. And they were like, why do you want to go and do a job like that? (laughs) And so I I would try to explain to them, you know, there are other things that I can do and this will be so great. And I really think this is my calling. And they were like, this is silly. How are you going to pay for school? And how are you going to make any money? Because everyone knows that social workers are broke. (laughs) And so they did not, they did not receive it well. Mm. And so, you know, I spent my beginning days as a social worker really using my mentor and other folks that support because my family was like, "Uh, and that's what you want to do. And even when I decided to become an entrepreneur, they're like, "Uh, you sure you want to do that? Mm. (laughs) I don't know how much sense that makes. So there has been a lot of kind of a risk taking mm. at the ex- expense of following following my purpose I think mm. what I'm what I'm here for is the fact that so young because still to be in college is young that you were aware of what you did and did not want to do and that you made the very difficult decision to do that rather than just continue to suffer through what wasn't for you mm-hmm. so let me shout you out for that because I know again just as first gens we have a tendency like you said grandma mama auntie cousin yep at the point of our life just even this to be grown up to be independent how do we finally define ourselves and what we want and you just kind of like okay I got this <laughs> you just did yeah. your thing so like I'm, I'm here for it I love it and you know, to see that all that you've become, to see that all that you're doing now, I'm pretty sure they look at you and they're just kind of like, wow, you know, still to be so proud, but you were the one with the mm-hmm. vision. And, you know, I've had a couple of friends said, and, and I know we all agree, whatever vision is given to you, you know, was yours for a reason. So again, Absolutely. kudos, kudos to that. Thank you. The loving that you have both the PWR and HBCU experience. You know, she a Howard alumni. Hey, y'all, she Howard. <laughs> she Howard, you know, listen. She ain't do us a deal today. She ain't put it on us. Either, but the, price of pride, you know, the real H.E. She ain't get us today, but you know, but she out here. I did it. And it's cool. Though. It's cool. But I love that, you know, you did the choose to go to an HBCU. And I would just be curious, you know, to ask you just really quickly as someone who did pursue grad school and did the PWI HBCU versus the other way around, what led you to want to go to, again, just HBCU or even just pick Howard for that matter for grad school? Absolutely. So I discovered Howard Maybe my, because I I was, at the time I was in high school in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so DC was not that far away. And so when my mother started letting me get out, we would go to DC. And that is when I discovered Howard. And then I was either a junior or a senior in high school. And I said, man, that sounds like a place I want to go to. Now, a little bit about my upbringing. My grandmother did not allow me to watch or listen to anything she deemed secular. (laughs) So I didn't know about a lot of things. I was very... Naive, I guess is the word. Mm-hmm. And so while some people saw like a different world and those things, I didn't find out about a lot of that stuff until later. 
So it really was me going up to D.C., going to the campus and being like, man, it feels like I should be here. Mm. Like, this feels really good. One of my aunts, who is about 10 years older than me, she would talk to me about Howard and about the importance of going to an HBCU. And I actually got into Howard for undergrad, but they weren't offering the same scholarship amount as VCU. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I'll take VCU. And so when I got the opportunity to go again, that is how I, I decided I've had a, an experience at a predominantly white school. It was amazing. To be honest with you, VCU treated me very well. Mm. I pledged a great sorority at VCU. And then when I had the opportunity to get a historically black college experience, I decided let's do that. Hmm. I love that. I love the balance. And I really love to hear, really love to hear actually, that VCU treated you right. Because that's not Mm -hmm. something that comes out of the mouths of minorities too often about predominantly white institutions, that it was a good time. Because we look at the retention and, you know, the persistence Mm -hmm. of of students of color, especially. And then to be somebody who's first gen. So again, shout out to VCU. And Mm -hmm. actually, I have had an opportunity to work with VCU and working with some of their first gen programs. So it's, you know, to know that and to see the people and how they're working and putting initiatives behind supporting their students. I'm just kind of like a round of applause. (laughs) You know, I'm loving that. Absolutely. I'm loving that. Absolutely. So, you know, considering the fact that you did go through, you know, undergrad, grad school, you knew that the profession itself may not make you money. You still decided to go ahead and say, I'm going to open my own private practice. At what point did Mm -hmm. you know that you were going to do that? because it's not something everybody wants to do. Some people have more of the comfort and clearly you the you the risk taker, right? Mm-hmm. Some people just want to go into a field and to work with others and have that stability and that security. And I'm sure that's been a part of it. But for you, what was it to say entrepreneurship needs to be what I'm doing, you know, to be a leash? So that is interesting. So Howard gave me my first introduction to living outside of the country. Hmm. They have alternative spring break. And my first year as a grad student, I was able to go to Haiti with a group of students. And I had never been out of the country and we did service work for two weeks. And it was amazing. Now the the dean of my program at the time, Dean Snell, a phenomenal man, he's from South Africa and he takes a group of students to South Africa every year. So my second year, I, well, in between that, I went to South Africa for three months on my own to do like some HRV research. And then my last year of the program, I went with him. And it was during that trip, I was talking to two of my professors, who is now one of my mentors. And I said, you know, I think I have something going on with my brain. And she was like, what? I was like, I just can't stop thinking. And I was like, and I also am about to tell you something really strange. And you may laugh. And she's like, what? I was like, I also know what is about to happen. Mm. And she's just kind of like laughing. And I was like, and I don't know what's going on. Like, I've been praying to God, like please take it away. Is something wrong with me? And she's like still laughing. And I was like, why are you laughing? And she's like, I want you to go home and I want you to look up discernment. So when I first went to, when I left VCU with a BSW, I wanted to be an addictions counselor because there were some addictions in my family. I had no desire to be a therapist. I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. Get to graduate school. I had an internship, my second one, where I was providing therapy and After that conversation and I looked up discernment, I'm like, okay, this is starting to make a little bit more sense as to why I can kind of tell what's about to happen and why people can people come to me for guidance and these different things. So started practicing therapy, practiced in New York City, practiced in Los Angeles, lost some friends along the way because as I discovered my identity and, you know, I felt like everyone wants to know the truth about things. Mm. So as things come to me, I'm going to share it with people because why not? 
that was not the case. I did not learn how to hone in those skills until much, 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 much later. <laughs> so while in New York and Los Angeles, I did HIV and AIDS work. Loved it. That's what I did in South Africa as well. In Los Angeles, I started doing some work with children. And it wasn't until I came to Charlotte that I started working with adults. Mm. and really honing in on anxiety and depression and identity and trauma. Mm. And so in Charlotte, I discovered entrepreneurship. I was working for an agency. They were doing some unethical things. And I said to myself, Alicia, you can you can do this. Mm. At that point, I had finished up my first or second year as a professor. And I just started looking up what does it take to be in private practice? Mm. I tried to meet with some clinicians, but they were very much not willing to you know, share that information with me. So I have made some mistakes along the way, having to do it with no guidance. Mm -hmm. And so that is how I, the roundabout way of getting into private practice. And now for me, because I feel like it's important to continue to pay it forward, I host interns at my practice. I help walk people through starting a private practice. And I love working with clinicians at every level from graduate school, students. I do clinical supervision because I just think it's important that we see people that look like us yes. that are doing the things that we want to do and and really showing people, you know, I, my, my thing is I'm trying to prevent burnout in clinicians. And so teaching clinicians, what does it mean to be well and to, and to continue to be well, not just for others, but for yourself. Mm. And so that is the roundabout way of how I got here. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I love that you're well-traveled because I know that culture definitely shapes our perspective of the world and how we show up in it. Mm -hmm. And for you to have had the experiences you've had to live in different places, to work with the different people, to like I said, even have gone abroad to do work. I'm sure that it definitely impacted you, but also get you to see the bigger picture. So when you show up mm -hmm. in the work, you're bringing your whole self, but also all the experiences that come with it. So I'm, I'm definitely down for that. And then you mentioned yep. the part about, you know, just helping those who want to help in professions to like, you know, definitely just take care of themselves and prevent burn burnout. Just in case y'all ain't know you, now you're going to know she's got the not healed as F mm -hmm. journal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I love it because it just kind of, it just, it speaks to the cultures mm -hmm. as well as you got an app. I don't think I'm mm -hmm. talking to anybody else who has an mm -hmm. app. And so just the vision for that, that came along with entrepreneurship as well. Or was that something that, you know, you just kind of like, what made you want to do that? Let me just ask. So... 2018, I was thinking like, man, there has to be a way to get people more connected. Practicing mental health in Charlotte is very different than when I practiced in Los Angeles hmm. or D.C. or New York. When I lived in D.C., New York, Los Angeles, everybody had a therapist. Mm. All of my friends knew that I was a therapist. When I was in L.A., the majority of my friends were in film. And so it, it was an everyday occurrence. When I came to Charlotte and I would say that I was a therapist, people would just kind of look like, what? Or like they would take me to the side and like want to talk in hush hush. Or I had a client who was like, well, can I just meet you at a coffee shop and we hang out as friends? And I said, well, that's not a professional relationship. And so the idea for the app came with people's hesitancy around connecting to clinicians. And so I said, maybe if they had a way to do it anonymously, but where they can still seek the services. And that is how I dipped my toe into the tech world. Mm. I did some pitch competitions. The app was up and running for almost two years. When it recently came down, due to I've just changed my focus and honestly, I need a engineer. Mm. But every now and again, I'll do little things with some investors around different ways to get people to talk about mental health because ultimately, I want us to treat our mental health like we treat our medical health. So mm. even if I'm not the therapist for you, what I want for people is to be well and to connect and, and get that healing in, in the best way that they need. 
And so everywhere that I go, I'm just really preaching this idea of it's okay to not be okay. Mm. And, you know, the thing I appreciate the most is that you're just very creative in your approach to being able to serve. So you're not looking at this just from a one-sided perspective that you just have to be a speaker because, you know, a lot of people want to be a speaker. I want to be a speaker. I am Mm -hmm. one. But it's like, you know, between speaking, it's like how are other ways that I can serve, even if it's through Mm -hmm. a journal, if it's through an app, you know, if it's through just being a professor and showing up in the spaces to be able to help those, like your vision and your idea about it is really cool. And you said something about just kind of coming to Charlotte and I hate hate that it had to be Charlotte because that's home for me. But I just wonder just really curious is that idea that stigma around the mental health did it have anything to do with you just being in the south like that's the first thing that came to mind because places like dc new york la are far more progressive to me mm-hmm. and i'm not saying charlotte is not but you know i just wonder if that had anything to do with it but don't nobody from charlotte beat me up i'm from there but i got a therapist so you know hey <laughs> and, yeah and and again i love charlotte I, I you know my home is there i started my family there yeah. my business is there yeah but it when i first got here i was received very differently mm. even in the churches that i attended i would go up to the pastors because i like to be involved wherever I am. And to me, when you move somewhere, you get connected. So, you know, I get together with my chapter. I find me a church. I find me a gym. That's how I, when it's time for me to relocate, you want to get connected so you can be rooted in a place. And I would go to, you know, whatever church I was attending and ask, is there a therapist on staff? You know, can Mm -hmm. I come and do some workshops? Is there anything I can do to serve in that capacity? And, you know, there was one church that kind of like lifted their eyebrows like, uh, no, sis. And then there was a few who let me and the church that I'm actually actively involved in now I've done quite a bit of things from grief groups to workshops to, you know, the pastor would be preaching. He'd be like, and now when y'all need to talk to somebody, see, we should sitting over there in the first row, you know, so it has definitely <laughs> changed over time, <laughs> which I, you know, which I love. So mm. I appreciate that you mentioned, you know, just the, the balance of, of church and religion and therapy. I actually just mm-hmm. had another session with Dr. Chandler and something that she mm. and I had talked about was the idea that, you know, grandma, grandpa, and them, whoever tell you to go pray about it. But it's like, my thought is I go pray about it, but what's next? Yep. Because we all aren't, you know, mature enough to, like you said, have discernment and we're all not mature yep. enough to think about, I prayed about it and I know what my answer is. But the thing is, so often we pray about stuff, but we find ourselves back in the same cycles because we haven't gotten the tools and resources to get us past that. So I think exactly. the praying about it needs to be praying about sometimes a strength to, you know, get the help we need or, you know, to find the comfort to go and ask for the support or to read the books or to listen to the podcast, whatever it is. But to just pray about it, <laughs> we still need answers. So shout out to mm-hmm. your, your church community for embracing you, but also understanding the importance. I mean, and come on, there are pastors who counsel. So it's clear mm-hmm. that there's got to be something to it, you know, more to than just the pray. And my mom just say all the time, you know, God created everything. So if he created everything and I need something, I should take advantage of that because he helped the he people. Created it. Yeah, he helped the people, you know, to walk into their professions and he trained them. So I was like, when my mom said that one day, I was like, oh, goodness. So I was like, mm-hmm. let me stop complaining about stuff and just kind of get to it. So. I love that. I love that. So of all the things, especially you just said as an entrepreneur, and I just want to sit here with you because I love that you are a married, you know, black woman, well-educated, well-traveled. You have children, <laughs> you know, like you have twins at that. Mm-hmm. I do. But, you know, what has been the most challenging part of this entrepreneur and life journey for you? Just, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of where you are now and how have you been able to navigate that for yourself? 
hands down being a wife. Mm. <laughs> being a wife is the hardest job that I have. Yeah. And it is one of the most rewarding. You so honest. But <laughs> I am. I am. That is my that is my most difficult job. <laughs> that is my most difficult job because when you decide to go in partnership, that means you decide to every day get up and look in a mirror. Yes. Because your partner is always going to be a reflection of who you truly are. Mm. So when I am outside of my home, I am all these things. I am Professor Sese. I'm Miss Alicia. I'm also in a doctorate program. So I'm a student outside of the home and I mm. can be all these different things. But when I'm at home, I cannot hide behind the titles. I cannot. All of those things don't matter. Mm. It is at home that I truly am faced with. This is who you are. Now, this is who you may try to be outside of here, but this is who you are and being able to sit with that. And so marriage is, you know, it teaches and grows me daily. Being a mother is 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 quite a journey. I never envisioned being married with children. So mm. being married with three children is, is quite a is quite a ride, but a lot of fun. And, you know, I love my work. The thing that I learned about myself last year while I was in therapy was when I get stressed, I work more. Mm. And that is a trauma response. And so one of the things that I'm challenging myself to do this year is because I, I feel like I can do a lot. Yes. And so I do and I do and I do. But this year I am trying to be more intentional about my rest. Mm. So in my head, rest means being on a beach. But there are other ways to rest. Sometimes rest is just sitting and closing your eyes. Sometimes rest is closing a laptop, even though you want to keep working. It's very hard for me because I'm passionate about my work and it doesn't feel like work. And so I can find myself coming home and hopping back on my laptop because it's just it's easy to do. Mm. And, you know, I kind of use my husband as a barometer. Like, do you think I've, you know, worked too much? Or, you know, I'll set up certain times where I, I, these are non-working times. Mm. Because as an entrepreneur, there's always something to do. Always. Always. <laughs> always. Um, always something to do. And so just being able to, I believe in modeling what mm. I teach. And so just really being able to model to folks. Even if you're passionate about it, you still need some rest. Mm, mm, that's what we're two of a kind. I think the most fascinating thing that you've said to me as well, I mean, you've said a lot of really dropping gems today. Just gave me that you're dropping some <laughs> gems, but just the idea that you never imagined yourself being a wife nor a mother. How mm -hmm. then have you been able to navigate this new reality and this new future? Mm -hmm. Similarly, I never thought I'd get married. And while, you know, we've yet to have children, you know, should it happen, I never thought about being a grandma. And so for me, mm -hmm. it's kind of like these things of this is a, a really big life transition. I think sometimes we absolutely what that looks like. You know, tell us a little bit about that and how you've been able to make the shift, because sometimes the old you can still come up because it's mm -hmm. like I'm used to my freedom, my independence. My, I'm out here getting yep. it. So, <laughs> yep, 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 yep. I, I feel you. It is, you know, me and my husband have been to couples therapy. We've done a couple of rounds of that. And it is this constant. And he'll say, like, do you miss your old life? <laughs> mm. And I tell him, you know, I have tried to integrate healthy pieces of my old life into my new life. Mm. And so one thing that I did throughout both pregnancies and even now is run. Mm. Because running is a part of my identity. And so that is something that I keep with me. And it makes me feel like I didn't give everything up. Mm. Another thing that I try to integrate is travel. Whether we travel as a family or he and I travel or I travel solo. And so there are small pieces of me. And I think he and I both had to learn this because we're new in marriage. I think we had this idea that marriage means giving up everything of who you were. But one of my line sisters said it very eloquently. <laughs> marriage is like dying to yourself every day yeah. um, to give yourself to the unit. And it means really creating what your marriage looks like. So my husband is very, he's a creative 
and we have very non-traditional roles and he really allows me to dive into my work and doesn't take offense or doesn't take it personally and, and all these things so we have really created I think more recently the life that we want and it doesn't necessarily look like the traditional marriage mm, yeah. I'm here for it I'm here for all of it you give me all the life today <laughs> like what have you been <laughs> what have you been but, you know it's we've crossed paths now so that's all that matters but it's just a lot of things yeah. resonate um, to be ambitious I, I'm grateful to have a husband who allows me to be that way as well and I, when people say yep. allows you there's some yep. some people out there who like oh yeah the idea of allow like the husband's like I'm not going for that I mean period yep. and you know but like I think the thing that I appreciate most about my husband he knew who, he knew who he married <laughs> now exactly. there have been things about me that have come up over the years that even I didn't know about myself and things that mm-hmm. I've been having to like face you know and, and navigate yes absolutely but at the end of the yep. day it's like he tells me you know I married somebody who was independent who was strong who mm-hmm. could take care of herself mm-hmm. for a reason and so I'm yep. just like alright well then go get it mama <laughs> you know like go get it yeah. and, and he's there to cheer me on and be the balance and be the sounding board. But I, like you said, the idea of non-traditional, my husband cooks significantly better than I do. <laughs> we yep. all know Mine that. does too. Yeah, amen. So it's kind of like, you know, him being okay with helping take care of us in a way that, you know, Eve, that's your job, you know, and I'll just be honest, mm-hmm. it's not that he's even emasculated by this. He washes our clothes for us. And I appreciate yep. that because he knows if stuff got to get done, he going to do it. So shout out to these yep. traditional husbands out here. My husband too. Amen. Yep. <laughs> Look, we we win it, sis. We win it. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Because it's nothing like being married to somebody who lets you be yourself. So I'll say that. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I love it. So before you leave us, again, it's just so many things that we can talk about. So I'm like, we don't have to bring you back. We're going to have to talk again. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, what is the piece of advice or words of wisdom that you would like to leave us with? I think... As of recently, I was talking to my husband about this today. I have anxiety, diagnosed anxiety. And so I'm always figuring out ways to manage that anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I really want to leave with people. Sometimes you have to let go of the life you envision to really appreciate the life that you have. We get very caught up in, well, I was supposed to be this by this age, Mm. and I was supposed to be that by that age, and I was supposed to, and I was supposed to, and I was supposed to. And when you you stay in that mindset, you end up taking things for granted. Mm. And so I really just want to leave folks with step away from what you thought your current situation would be and really sit in the present of what it is and see if your perspective can change. You have definitely just done me a deal today. <laughs> and I am, I'm, I'm here for it. So full of life. But I'm, I know that you enjoy, you know, sitting laughter and just life and just living. And so to be so present and to share your experience, that's what it's about. We know that you're first gen. We know that these things, you know, are, are parts of your identity of this first gen is, you know, figuring it out as part of your identity. But definitely to just show up and here you are and this is what you've become and you're still becoming. And so I love it. And those of you who have tuned in today, if you have enjoyed this like I have, which I'm sure you have because, you know, we don't play about who we bring around here. But definitely go check out Alicia's podcast too, the number two elephants in the room. 
I love that. <laughs> you know, I love that. And so, um, <laughs> talk, focusing on mental health, so to get some more of this this goodness right in your life. So, you know, it's a podcast that she does co-host. So please go check that out. And again, doctoral student, therapist, entrepreneur, sitting on boards, teaching. You know, balance. <laughs> but you can be ambitious. You can be married. You can be and have it all. Um, it's just a matter of how you do it. And so I think that you know you are still living proof of that. And again, to connect with Alicia, go to the show notes. The link. Is in the episode session notes. So you can, you see it, just go back out, look at the session notes, click the link and you can get her information to contact her. But again, Alicia, thank you for your time. Thank, thank you. you for just everything that you know, that you do all that you are. I have truly enjoyed this and I hope that, you know, you will come back one day for uh, the round two of like, where we at now? <laughs> Absolutely. Good stuff. All right. Well, take care of yourself and best of luck. And again, just thank you for being a part of this family. Thank you.